0: Is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory?
1: G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the Country Hour. It is day two of the live exchange conference being held in Darwin for the live trade of Australia. This is the event. More than four hundred delegates at the Darwin Convention Centre. A special broadcast today I really hope you can stick around on yesterday's program we spent a lot of time focusing on the live cattle trade today we'll also be looking at some of the other areas of this industry including opportunities to export more Buffalo my first guest this afternoon at the live exchange conference is the president of the NT Cattlemen's Association David Connolly welcome to the country hour
2: hi Matt how are you going
1: I am very well you were one of the guest speakers yesterday And even though you're the president of the Cattlemen's Association, you did dedicate a fair bit of time talking about the live sheep trade and you were critical of Federal Labor's plan and promise to phase out the live sheep trade. Why would you get involved in that fight?
2: Well, that's right, Matt. Um, The Federal Labor government under Anthony Albanese said prior to their election that they would... Uh, phase out the live sheep trade, which is mo- mostly out of Western Australia, and uh, we've got involved in that fight to answer your question because live export is live export. In our opinion, we think that the federal labor policy of um, of closing down that trade is just wrong. Uh, we think it'll do more harm than good. I would ask federal labor. I would say why, uh, based on what evidence? Why? Why do you want to sh- you know shut this trade down? You shut the cattle trade down once and made a billion dollar and rising mistake, why, why do it again? There's going to be far more harm done to the families that, um, that receive this food protein. So the mums and dads and the kids in um, the Middle East that really rely on this protein that comes from this sheep trade as food, um, will, won't, won't have that. You know, Australia's farmers, Australia's pastoralists, it's it's quite a, a big part of their life, uh, amongst all the hard work that they do. We get we get you know our nice feelings, our good feelings out of knowing that we provide food for Australia and the world. And that's what this trade is. Live export exports food in a in a form that the customer wants it. So some customers want it in a box. Some want it live because of their religious beliefs and other other things like no refrigeration and so forth. So I've I've seen the stats out
1: of WA. If you look at the graphs, it appears like it's a trade that's on the decline and maybe on the out anyway.
2: It's on the decline because government for years now has been pushing it that way. Um, If government came out and announced that in the future we're going to shut down the live cattle trade, all of us as pastoralists would have to find some other thing to do. So we would start to move out out of that trade. At great hardship to not only ourselves but all the people... Uh, that depend on us for their trade. Live export, Matt. What governments don't seem to understand is that live export is like a great big, um, like a great big octopus. It has its tentacles uh, wrapped through and entwined in all these businesses in the NT. So transport, um, four-wheel drive repair, fuel, tyres. Y- you name it. You name a business in the Northern Territory, and most of them I'll be able to tell you how they're linked to live export. And that's what will happen in the nor- in uh, in WA. So, yeah, it's on decline and people say to me, well, they're only exporting 500,000 head of sheep. Mm. Well, put it back on the market, put it back on the agenda and let those growers um, have a crack at it again and build that trade. Particularly in times of drought and uh, financial hardship when, when those f- sheep farmers over there need that trade. Y- you can't kill all those sheep. Because the naysayers will say, well, we'll just process them. Well, like this live export cattle trade, they're either too light or too old or, or not right. They're not the specification to go through that abattoir. So... I just say why? Why do you why do you want to crack it off the the whole Wh- sheet which business.
1: is a good question, I guess, for Murray Watt and his counterparts. Yeah. But it, is it clear in your mind why that trade in particular? Like, what's the no?
2: Why crack it off? I'm just asking a question. Why yeah. do you want to crack off that trade? It's not clear. Murray Watt, uh, Minister Watt, is a fella who I have a lot of time for. He's a, a collaborative. Type of fellow, he's communicative. Uh, he, you know, I think if we ask these questions of him and his government, um, he'll he'll ask those questions of his own government. What what I don't want to see though is that Murray Watt gets blindsided either. You know, by his own by his own party. But I think Matt that the government will see a bit of reason for this. This sheep business has reformed, as the cattle live export business did. The sheep business has really reformed, and I think government can um, if people like us. Uh, even the cattle sector start asking the question. Government might just say, all right, well, let's, let's find out why we're closing this. Oh, this business has reformed a lot and it can, it can get back uh, because of these reforms and, and under the auspices of, of a watchdog, allow that business to continue.
1: In the lead-up to the federal election, the NT Cattlemen's Association was quite public in some of its criticisms of Labor. Those criticisms, I mean, have they been proven or completely
2: unfounded from your life? Well, that's a good, good question, Matt. We were vocal uh, about Labor's live export policies, so uh, we were critical. We're we're an apolitical organisation. I like to say, uh, quite imprudently, that we will. You know, we'll have a crack at both sides of government. Doesn't matter which side of government you sit on, we can criticise both equally, and we're an apolitical organisation. We normally don't come out and criticise uh, before an election, mm. but our concerns were about Labor's track record on live export, which is not that good. And so, and then Anthony Albanese, you've got to give him some credit for this. At least he had the, at least he had the gumption to say. Before the election, he said, should we be elected, we're going to close this trade. Well, of course, we were critical of that. Um, but I do say at least he had enough about him to announce that and not just do it. try and slide it down the, the milking side, so to speak. So um, that's why we were critical. But let me also answer the rest of your question is that, um, like I was just talking about Minister What we have found that um, he, they've been very collaborative, they've been communicative, Um, Minister Watts, a fellow that will sit down and talk to you uh, we, and we'll agree to agree on some things and we'll agree to disagree on other things but at least we've had the, a respectful discussion about that and that's, what I re- and that's what I like is that we can have a respectful discussion and we, and we can agree to disagree on certain things but at least we both know where each other sit on that. He listens to us and we listen to him.
1: The cost of regulating the live export industry, be it sheep, be it cattle, is on the rise. What does it mean for a producer like you, David Connolly?
2: Well, what it means, Matt, is that um, when governments um, push the cost of that regulation back on the industry, it goes to the lowest common denominator. Um, So it's going to go to the producer, and it goes to the customer. So the cost of live export regulation, which is an inefficient cost. Governments, Governments can't perform vet checks or... Uh, regulatory ta- regulatory tasks like they're doing as efficiently as industry, or or, or even um, consultative groups. The, the, it's in an inefficient way because of the cost they incur is such a high cost, and it gets pushed back onto the producer. So if the exporter gets his you know twenty dollar cost for something or other, he he can't pay for that. The exporter doesn't have the cattle, he doesn't own the cattle or the infrastructure. He pushes that cost through his price onto the producer.
1: It's a trade that needs regula- regulation,
2: though, doesn't it, and monitoring. I think the answer to that is yes, but it um, it's undergone immense reform. It's got uh, some fantastic systems in place. I think just increasing the um, increasing the regula- regulatory burden and increasing the cost is going to kill the trade. The conspiracy theorists, Matt, tell me that. Maybe the government's trying to force the trade out by the regulatory burden. Well, your, pre, your
1: predecessor, I think, said regulated into oblivion.
2: Yeah, it is being regulated into oblivion. Um, the costs, the costs are just, are just unbelievable. They're, they're so inefficient. Like a, a vet check you, that you can get from a private vet is so much cheaper than what you can get from the government vet. Can you believe that?
1: Are you feeling confident about the future of live exports?
2: Yeah, very confident. You are? Okay. Yeah. Because, because really what we're doing, once governments get it, and I'm sure that they, they absolutely get it in the, in the cattle business, is that we are, we are working on a global basis where we're feeding people. Let me be really clear on this. The, the Vietnamese and the, and the Malaysians and the Vietnamese customers, they rely on this protein to feed their people. That's what it does. Uh, Just finally,
1: I'm going to share with our audience the the last part of your speech yesterday because you talked about how the relationship between the NT Cattlemen's Association and the NT Livestock Exporters Association is going really well compared to decades past. And you said here's some advice that only a friend can provide. Never get so used to being beaten up that you start believing that it's okay to let people hit you. What did you mean by that?
2: What I mean by that, Matt, is that the live export trade has taken some big hits um, in the in the in the close presence. You know, back to even a little bit before 2011. But since 2011, the live export trade continuously keeps getting beaten up. Media, social media, uh, wherever you like to look at it. And if you allow yourself to keep getting beaten up, it becomes it becomes easy. You just start. You get used to it. And I'm trying to say that. Um, Cattle businesses like the NTCA, the producer groups, um, are there to help these live export associations and that together we can do a a lot better and that really the cattle cattle producers are part of this industry. We're not just producing an article and then stepping aside. We follow this article right through. We're closer to our customer than ever before and that uh, together we can do a lot better in providing this food source for for these customers.
1: Thanks for your time on the Country Hour today.
2: Good on you, Matt. Always a pleasure.
1: Appreciate it. That is David Connolly, the president of the NT Cattlemen's Association and one of the key speakers at the live exchange conference for 2022. That's where the Country Hour is broadcasting from today. If you miss any of today's show, a reminder, you can catch it via the podcast. It is
3: 18 to 1. G'day, I'm Will Hayes and I'm a ringer from Wave Hill Station. My grandparents managed the station here back in the 1970s and I'm very privileged to be here. You're
4: listening to the Country Hour.
1: And very soon on the program we'll be speaking to David Galvin who is the chair of the Australian Livestock Exporters Council. But before that, let's just step away from the convention centre for a moment to talk mangoes. It is the season, it really is, and one of our big stories last week was the beginning of the Mango Express, a new weekly seasonal flight straight out of Darwin, exporting territory mangoes every week to markets in Asia. Now, some of the mangoes that were flown out last week and will get flown out again tomorrow, they have come from the company Manblue Mangos, which has got some pretty seriously big farms near Catherine. The managing director, Marie Baconi, says there's been good demand for their mangoes in these export markets. And one of the challenges for them is getting enough mangoes
5: to meet that demand. It seems that um, the number of aircraft moving around the world is less than before COVID, before the COVID years. So we're It's not as easy to secure freight and there's lots of competition um, from other commodities and other products to have air freight.
4: And is that just the price of freight or the availability altogether?
5: Oh, it's availability and price, but availability is a significant issue.
4: And is that just air freight? Have you considered sea freight? Is that an option for mango growers?
5: We have done a whole lot of trial work on sea freight and it's... It's risky because if vessels are delayed then you just run out of time in terms of the fact that mangoes have got um, a limited shelf life even with controlled atmosphere, sea freight and yeah it, it just can be too variable in terms of making sure the market gets the supply and the timing that they need.
4: And these uh, Mango Express planes, they're off to South Korea, Hong Kong and the Middle East. Uh, are they the main markets that you're targeting or are you looking elsewhere as well?
5: No, uh, well, our main markets are actually South Korea, mainland China, um, Canada, the USA and New Zealand. Um, but you know there's there's some quite acceptable markets in those other areas but we've decided on some markets and want to do them very well and work with our partners in those markets uh, to grow and we want to do those
4: markets really well. Can you give me a ballpark figure of you know the the amount or the kind of percentage of your farm that you'd hope to be exporting into the future?
5: When I know I'll let you know but I think that there is significant export potential if it's a unique eating experience, if it's not a commodity mango and if it excites the customers. So um, we, haven't, we haven't actually said, well, this is the percentage of our farm, um, but we know that once you awaken the dragon, you have to feed the dragon and there's, um, there's plenty of opportunity to just, to just grow those volumes with our own fruit and fruit from other growers.
4: So this uh, kind of these freight challenges that you're experiencing, uh, is this year better than last? Do you see that improving?
5: Oh, I hope so. I think that as COVID becomes more a thing of the past, I think that more people will travel and there will be more freight available.
4: And we've spoken about export and getting the freight that you need there, but you've also had some challenges with transit and getting workers into the country. What have been the, the challenges there this season?
5: Well, the main challenge has been getting workers in from Vanuatu, and um, Air Vanuatu's had a huge amount of flights cancelled and delayed and shuffled around, and that's really difficult when you've got deadlines to start a mango harvest. Um, so we'll be reviewing what we do next year because we can't. We have to risk manage that situation. We we can't be relying on um, on a situation where people can't come at the time that we book them to come.
4: What kind of impact has that had for you this year?
5: It's been really gruelling for the team because it's just been absolutely difficult um, trying to get everybody in so we can start. It's just been um, lots of long hours and lots of negotiating and lots of, um, you know, urging, urging other companies to fulfil their commitments,
4: especially um, airlines. And the harvest is really ramping up in the Catherine region now. Do you have the workforce that you need on the ground?
5: We have 95% of the workforce that we need on the ground. We don't, we don't have any spare workers available so that if something happens to somebody, we're not able to just um, rotate and replace. Uh, so we're, we're, we're tight for workers, but we believe we've got enough to complete the season.
1: That is Marie Bacconi, who is the managing director of Mambaloo Mangoes, one of the territory's biggest producers of delicious mangoes. And that company, one of the few that are supplying mangoes into that export market, putting mangoes on the plane for that new Mango Express. Now, in other big mango news... As you're probably aware, over the last few weeks, bartenders across the top end have been busy making delicious mango drinks and vying to win what's called the Darwin Mango Cup. Guess what? The winner has now been announced. The drink was called the Meng Expectation, and it was created by Jun, who works at one of... The, uh, the wonderful businesses in Darwin. Jun's originally from South Korea. He's been in Darwin since 2018 and he has won this award back to back. He is a mixed master. He really is. The Country Hours, Annie Brown, went to catch up with him.
6: I'm so excited and uh, every year I want to bring something new and different. So this competition has, um, allowed me to the uh, opportunity to try something new things. So, um, I'm very uh, happy with that. Yeah.
4: And tell me a bit about your drink that one. What's it called? What does it taste like?
6: Uh it's called Man Expectations. Uh it tastes a little bit sweet and uh smoky, a little bit sour and it's there's the microphone foam on the top, so it's kind of a bit you uh, can feel, uh, taste of the uh, soft and smooth and texture of the pandan. So
4: Jun, tell me about how you use the mango in your drink.
6: This mango cup, I, it's third year to participate. So, um, normally when I'm making the uh, mango fray, uh, after up the uh, mango fray, I just throw away the mango seed and mango skin. But this year I just want to use the all part of the mango. So, yeah, I made up the tea with the mango seed and mango skin.
4: So you made a mango tea out of the, the seed and the skin of the mango instead of throwing it away. That's incredible.
6: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
4: Does it taste good?
6: It uh, yeah, tastes good. Of course, it tastes good. You can smell the mango, uh, yeah, yeah, as well.
4: And what was your inspiration for uh, Mang Expectations? Am I yeah, saying that right? Mang Expectations, <laughs> yeah.
6: Right. Um... Uh, it's related to uh, my uh, story. So when I first came to the Darwin, I, I thought I would be here for about one year, but four, four years later, I'm still here. So what I found was um, surprisingly charming and warm, intriguing city that is full of potentials. So all the flavors and good ingredients try its best to sh- show how I see Darwin uh, while showcasing the best of. Uh, also with a strong um, focus on the local produce, uh, It's like a capy mango. Uh, I choose the gene from willing, this three is from local or uh, lime, pandan. Yeah, my dream is my, my hope to others that they might see what I see. And I uh, also appreciate it what Darwin has to offer and I appreciate it.
4: It's like your tribute to Darwin,
6: yeah. Yeah, his tribute to Darwin, yeah.
1: There he is. That is Jun from the Loading Bay in Darwin. He is a master mixologist, is apparently what's on the business card. He makes a mean drink. So he has won the Darwin Mango Cup two years in a row. You know how I like to research these things, and I've actually tried a few of uh, Jun's creations. and. My goodness! Well done to him and the team. If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour broadcasting from the live exchange conference at the Darwin Convention Centre. Our guest up next will be David Galvin, who is the chair of the Australian Livestock Exporters Council. Let's have a quick song, then we'll catch up with him. That is Emmy Lou Harris right across the territory on the ABC. You are tuned into the Country Hour broadcasting from the live exchange conference and our guest this afternoon is David Galvin who is the chair of the Australian Livestock Exporters Council. Welcome to the program. Uh, good to be here. Alick, the head body for all things live exports. We've been talking sheep on the Country today, the live sheep trade. Can you provide our audience with an update on, on where that story's at? We know the federal government has promised to phase out that trade but where is it all at David Galvin?
7: Well, thanks, Matt. Uh, Yeah, the the government's policy is to phase out the the trade. The good thing is they've said to uh, us and, uh, you know, the sheep producers that it will not happen in this term. So, you know, we've been, you know, quietly, you know, going to various politicians uh, from both parties uh, saying this is why uh, we don't believe it should uh, be phased out, that what happened in 2017... Uh, uh, where the, there was a you know, problem on the boat and uh, and and uh, a considerable amount of sheep uh, uh, died, we have gone from that to reform. And I put in the context of 2011 with the with the with the cattle and the ban uh, in Indonesia. The industry, along with the government, uh, took uh, really uh, strong uh, efforts to uh, reform how things happened. Uh, made the SCAS system, uh, uh, then put standards through abattoirs, etc. So what we're saying to the government here, uh, you should uh, allow us to prove to you that we have reformed the sheep industry. And we believe we have uh, done that, and we will continue to do that.
1: What's your take on cattle producers suddenly getting quite vocal about the sheep trade and the promised phase-out?
7: Well I think cattle producers you know are quite rightly worried that uh, why if the sheep industry has reformed itself so well why would the government wish to uh, continue with this phase out policy so from our perspective it's one sense it's, you, you can 't just have the sins of the fathers put on to, to the sins of their sons right and and that ref that reforming uh, part of the journey has you know been Shown to be uh, correct, the minister himself, uh, Murray Watts, says he says that he can see the reform in it. He can see the good practices that are in there, but the, the the policy of the Labor Party is still to phase out.
1: Does he want to do it? Do you get a sense on if he truly wants to do it?
7: I I can't really uh, comment on that because I'd be putting words uh, you know in his mouth, Matt. But. So, uh, for him to recognise the dramatic uh, you know, changes and improvements over those that period gives me uh, uh, hope, and it gives exporters hope that you know he, as the agricultural minister, uh, knows what's happening. Yes. He's, he hasn't got his head in the sand and and saying, oh, the policy is uh, to. Uh, uh sheep trade out because nothing has changed. He has he has admitted that things have changed and changed for the positive.
1: Yep. One cattle producer put it to me. Uh, they felt that Alex not been vocal enough, not been public enough in its fight to save that trade. What would you say to that?
7: Well, what well, I would say, jumping up and down and screaming about it. It doesn't necessarily get you, uh, you know, uh, instantaneous uh, success and uh, the policy will just change tomorrow. What we see is that we uh, are providing the evidence that things have changed. And I think I mentioned today that 60,000 head of sheep going to um, the, the Gulf, 26 mortalities. So it's un- unheard of in the mortalities. So... Uh, what we're doing is, is right. And I just want to let listeners know that uh, Premier McGowan in WA has mm. said we have reformed. And he said we want to, we want to, he wants to, the sheep trade to continue. Two weeks ago he was asked in Parliament the same question. Do you support the sheep trade? He said yes. And WA is about to get a new Ag Minister. And WA is where all the sheep come from. So you know, if the Premier of uh, Western Australia is, as confident, is confident that the industry has reformed, mm. I think uh, the knowledge that he has done that and said that will be uh, sent to the federal uh, government. Has investment already left
1: this sector, though? Left it for dead?
7: Yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Uh, there will be reluctance to put in... Uh, more investment, but i don't money hasn 't run, uh, run out and just for instance, we had uh, two Saudi Arabian uh, people who run m- massive uh, operations in Saudi have, c- have come to a Livex, which are predominantly cattle yep. Yep. Uh, and have been there and uh, you know, really want to invest and continue to ex- have uh, sheep go to Saudi.
1: Yeah, okay, Uh, we've got to go to the newsroom. My apologies, David Galvin, but thank you very much for your time on the Country Hour. My pleasure.
3: Yeah, I'm Dave Shepherd, I'm at West Elsie. Um, I've been up here for 28 years now, and I'll be here for a lot longer. You're listening to the Country Hour.
1: Matt Brand with you this afternoon, broadcasting from day two of the Live Exchange Conference, which has been held in the Darwin Convention Centre. More than 400 delegates in the Convention Centre. They've come from all over. They've come from the live sheep trade. They've come from the live cattle trade. And in a moment, you'll hear from someone who's getting themselves really involved in the trade of exporting buffalo. We'll also be getting the crystal ball out with Angus Gidley-Baird from Rabobank and trying to get a sense on what beef prices might do over the next 12, 24 months. Before all that, let's go to the Weather Bureau. Sally Cutter is there this afternoon. And Sally, we'll start with a question that's come from our audience. Judith says, Matt, could you ask uh, the Weather Bureau, I can see clouds over Nightcliff, but they're not on the radar. Why is this, says Judith.
0: Ah, because if they're just clouds, the droplets aren't big enough to give a good return back on the radar. If, the, if they're actually waters falling out of it or the water droplets are big enough, the, they will get a return. Having said that, if we do, depending on what wavelength of radar it is, you can actually see insects and things on, on the radar, just swarms of insects on the radar. But the, generally, if it's just cloud... The water droppers aren't big enough for the radar to get a strong enough return off to say that, hey, there's something there. That's that's where the satellite pictures come in. Once okay. the raindrops get big, gets bigger, they, yeah, you can see them on the radar.
1: Uh, looking at top-end radars this afternoon, there's a smattering of what I hope are storms and not swarms of locusts.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're storms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, we've we've got some... There's some big ones, probably just outside of radar range, south of Bowle or south west of all Aller Downs, not quite as far as Brunette Downs, and we've had some pretty good rain out of those. That for Vent Range, we've had 46 millimetres, and that's since nine o'clock. So that's the biggest we've had in the in the territory so far. Great Island isn't far behind with 43.6. So there's been some good rainfall out there. We've also got some storms around Darwin and we're just starting to see them go up down to the southwest of Alice Springs now.
8: Yeah,
1: just more on rainfall figures up to nine o'clock this morning. Can you share a few more with us, especially Uh, rainfall out on cattle country?
0: Yeah, those those totals were since nine o'clock. Pigeonhole managed to get 70 millimetres to nine o'clock this morning. Mount Felix in the Daly River got, well, the Cat, Daddy River Castle River area 35 millimetres, Yarralba Ridge 33 millimetres, Central Waterhouse 29, Mount Bundy's only got 16, only but Hugh River down central Australia, the Fink got 14 millimetres, Bradshaw's 14, Just trying to well, Alice Springs got seven millimetres out of the rain last night to nine o'clock. So there's been a few totals out there. We don't have that many rain gauges in, through that cattle country unfortunately, but I'm pretty yeah. sure the stations have got their own one, but we, this is the ones that Bond Springs, 5mm False Headland 4.2, Ban Ban Springs,
1: and, 3.2. And, the, and, and this afternoon looks like there's a storm sort of heading towards Tichikala as we go to air. Is there much in that? It
0: uh, looks like there could be. They're the, the, visible on the radar a fair way out there, over 100km from the radar. And we're getting pretty intense cells through them. The the problem if we depending on what you're thinking, it might go between Idrakara and Chichikala, but it's certainly going to be in that area. There's it, just those little ones. We do have the potential that they storms down through that area may be a little bit gusty, and we are having a just keeping an eye on all the storms through the southern parts. But tomorrow there's a good, even better chance that we'll see some gusty storms in the Simpson District and then on Saturday is when we start seeing the rain really pick up through the Simpson District and those gusty storms, storms could reach into the top end. It's also going to be windy down in the Lester on Saturday so we could see some, and, and tomorrow, but was, and that's going to elevate the fire danger through that area.
1: So over the next couple of days for the Northern Territory, Sally, anything else we need to be yep. aware of?
0: No, just that it's going to rain, basically, or potentially got showers and storms throughout the NT. It's windy down in that southwest corners and there are a number of fires down through there at the moment, so just be aware. And again, with the temperatures heating up, and it's going to dry out a little bit on Saturday, so that's going to increase those fire dangers. So that's what to look at down south. The rest of the NT, watch out for any gusts. Come out of those storms, and also some heavy rainfall as
1: well. No worries. OK, thanks so much for your time this afternoon, Sally. Appreciate it. <laughs> That's OK. That is Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau. Right across the Territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. It is ten past one.
0: Hello, um, my name's Josephine Grant. I'm with the Tea Tree Rangers, and we're doing soil erosion at Andoja Station, and you're listening to Country Hour.
1: If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour, and we're broadcasting from the live exchange conference being held in Darwin. I'm joined now by Angus Gidley-Baird from Rabo Bank, one of the senior analysts there. He gave a presentation this morning about what beef prices might do over the next couple of years. What will they do in the next couple of years, Angus? <laughs> Yeah, good question, Matt. I mean, look,
9: there are a number of factors at play here. There's obviously the domestic situation with our limited inventory, cattle inventory, and favourable seasonal conditions, which mean you know people are still in a bit of a rebuild phase and still have accommodation or can accommodate a few more numbers. Um, I have a real question as to how hard we've gone in terms of building up our breeding numbers. We're still seeing. You know, volumes coming through abattoirs is still historically low at the moment, yet we've got very high cattle prices. So to me, that suggests that the producers still willing to hold cattle and willing to buy cattle. Um, so maybe there's a bit of ground uh, space on the ground to, to accommodate a few more. Um, then you've got all the global stuff that comes in over the top of that.
1: Yeah, and there's so much there. So let's try and break some of that down. You showed a slide this morning that was interesting about consumer sentiment. It's all trending down, and in particular China, that graph, you can see the, the sharp decline. What does that mean for beef?
9: Yeah, I mean, China plays a massive role in global markets. It's the world's biggest beef importer. Uh, most of its products coming out of Brazil at the moment, but... You know, if, if that Chinese consumer was to actually start to consume a bit more, then it's going to lift all boats, effectively. Um, yeah, the the consumer sentiment graph you refer to shows China's consumer sentiment has dropped quite dramatically um, over the course of this year. Their zero, zero COVID policy and lockdown approach that they've used there shows that consumer sentiment in China is some of the lowest it's been for a number of years. Even you know, at the beginning of, of um, uh, COVID and African swine fever and things like that too. So. It's yeah, it, it's low at the moment. We've also seen a lot of the other economies as well—the Europe's, the Americas, um, South America's—all their consumer sentiment's dropped. Brazil is probably one of the, the standout ones. It's actually lifted. They've just had a presidential election. The World Cup's coming up, so maybe they're a bit happier than everyone else. <laughs> um, but generally, things are lower. Consumer sentiment being low, you know, economic growth being low, um, prices and costs being high. We've really got to just watch how that consumer plays out incomes are going to be the real test for
1: beef demand. So sticking on China, though, how do you see that consumer sentiment changing if the country sticks with that zero COVID policy?
9: Yeah, and after the Chinese Chinese Communist Party convention last month that doesn't necessarily look like it may change. Uh, I must admit at the beginning of the year we were thinking we'll get towards the end of the year and China will start to open up again and we might just see might see more volumes go back into China Um, but I, I, I think we've probably got to be realistic now and not really expect a lot of change over you know six months sort of thing.
1: Meanwhile in the US recession and a really big drought how is that playing out across the global beef trade?
9: Yeah, at the moment, it's not having too much of an impact. Unbelievably, you know, cattle prices in the US are strong, beef prices in the US are strong, and they've got huge volumes coming onto the market. They've got some of their biggest export volumes at the moment. They're sending a lot of volume to China too, um, more than we are. So favourably demand in the US has been very strong to accommodate some of these volumes that are coming out of there at the moment. I think the real key from an Australian point of view is probably not next year but 2024 when the US goes through as they naturally will you know a rebuild phase after this huge liquidation and they their production volumes really drop off and they go searching for other other beef suppliers to meet that need we saw it back in 13 14 global beef beef prices lifted by 50 60 percent in the space of a couple of months you know we're potentially staring down a similar situation here uh, in
1: in a year or two's time so between the problems in china what we're seeing in the us also war in europe is there any one of them that's having a bigger influence than the others uh i think from an
9: australian cattle complex point of view the us is probably the main one we've got to keep an eye on they the us consumer is a beef consumer they will pay for beef if they want it um china is a pork consumer um as long as they've got a pork supply you know i think the beef volumes will will ebb and flow a little bit depending on pricing that they can get um Europe's not really a big player in terms of an influence on Australia's markets. I think what we've got to watch out of Europe is its impact on global grain prices and therefore influence on feed grain prices because that will in turn affect the cost of gain in the US. It will affect Australian grain prices and the cost of gain here. It will affect the feed costs for pig production in China.
1: And just on pig production, I feel it's been a while since I've seen an update on African swine fever. Remember when that was the big biosecurity story, it's been completely swamped by uh, other issues, but what is the latest there?
9: Yeah, look, I mean, it, African swine fever, it's still in China. Um, that They are recovering, their pork production is recovering. Um, they've been through a bit of a rebuild phase. Um, the genetics are now getting better, so their productivity is actually improving and increasing um, we've seen a, a, a change in the Chinese pork production uh, market as well. We've seen a lot of the smaller players drop out and bigger players come in. While the bigger players have larger numbers, and you'd argue they're probably more exposed, they've also got better biosecurity controls and the ability to manage some of those diseases as well. So it's it's still there. Um, I haven't heard that there's a vaccine available, so it's it's one of those things that
1: y- you manage. So, coming back to that first question, what will beef prices do? <laughs> have we found an answer? Even, you know, 2023, what are you expecting? Uh look, I... I, I and I'm probably somewhere on record saying it uh, at
9: the beginning of 2022 that we we're going to have beef prices lower this year, this year in 2022. I think in Australia, Australian cattle prices have got to come down. Um, they are still very inflated, but a lot of that will depend on our local producer demand and the volumes of cattle we've got in the system. But I do think... We are operating at the very high end of our cattle prices at the moment. They will come down over the course of the next 12, 24 months. Um, But then you're starting to talk about what happens with that US demand will start to have a bigger influence on on the Australian market. So I'm expecting the next 12 months for them to come down. With seasonal conditions favourable at the moment, there's nothing that suggests that they will dramatically drop, but I think we should see a gradual recession of the prices as, as numbers build and that producer demand eases.
1: Thanks for your time on the Country Hour.
9: Not a problem, always great to speak. Thanks Matt.
0: This week on Landline, as China turns away from Australian wine, India is shaping up.
7: It definitely is a market that Australian producers are looking to invest in, um,
0: particularly once the free trade agreement comes into force. And boot scooting life back into WA's small halls. Those town halls, there's just so much heritage in them and so much feeling. That's Landline Sunday 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on iview.
1: Yep, Landline this Sunday. And don't forget the marker report. How good is the Landline marker report? This week we'll be speaking to Patrick Underwood, who is the Managing Director of Australian Cattle Enterprises. He's been in the live export game for a long time, Patrick. He'll be on Landline this Sunday. I actually caught up with him this morning to talk about a variety of things and to also get his latest information on the spread of foot and mouth disease and lumpy skin disease in Indonesia here's a bit of a listen uh, on the info that he's got
8: still ramifications there so it's it's sort of not spreading anymore all Australian cattle are vaccinated Um, local cattle surrounding Australian feedlots are now vaccinated Um, but but just legacy issues because they did um, slaughter a lot of their their local population um, that either was compromised or had fmd and we're finding that a lot of those are are in, are in fridges over there now. So in some of the cold chains, all, all blocked up with product from from FMD cattle, and that's sort of um, going to work its way through the system. So it, it'll certainly um, take some time, um, to, you know, it's for, for, for the FMD repercussions to be completely over. Um, LSD, there's a there's there's now a confirmed case in in Java, Central Java. It was in in, in Sumatra. So you know, there's a movement south. That that's definitely um, cattle movements though, so, um, you know, there's a really interesting session yesterday on, on the likelihood of it getting to Australia. Um, there's they're still doing a lot of scientific work to try and understand whether those biting insects or, or vectors um, will be capable of carrying lumpy skin disease, you know, a, across the seas to Australia with, you know, a lot of some people are saying it's, it's inevitable. Others are saying, I think that, you know, the experts are saying it's a 28% chance, but it's definitely a great concern for the Australian cattle industry.
1: With the wet season approaching, could lumpy skin disease blow in on the wind?
8: I, look they're telling me it won't be this year um, and, and the good thing is that they're doing a lot of work in Timor and some of those countries in the south where lumpy skin hasn't got to to, to monitor um, and test that it's getting there so I think we, we, we watch the spread through southern Java you know through Bali and we'll see if it comes across you know, some of these southern Indonesian islands which, which really aren't that far from Australia's north coast or the Tiwi Islands. And Patrick, in ways, the, the
1: elephant in a room at a conference like this is the promise to phase out the live sheep trade. Now, I know you're in the business of shipping cattle, but do you have any thoughts on that
8: conversation? Look, we support, in, in the north, there's no sheep, but we support the sheep trade. There's been you know, vast improvements done, and you know across the conference yesterday, there was there's universal support from you know, the Northern Church of Cattlemen's Association. Um, but, you know, across the, across the industry, um, you know, to support a, a, a good sustainable sheep trade based on animal welfare, um, you know, we wouldn't like to see it phased out completely because we, we you know, we, we, we do have fears even though the Australian government and, and Minister Murray, what's been very clear that they're not targeting cattle, you know, we just don't know what's next. There you go, that is Patrick
1: Underwood who is the Managing Director of Australian Cattle Enterprises and you'll hear more from Patrick on Landline this Sunday. Right across the territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour, broadcasting from the Live Exchange Conference. It is day two. We've been talking cattle, we've been talking live sheep. Up next we'll talk about opportunities for the live buffalo trade bit of Johnny Cash on a Thursday lunchtime you are tuned into the Country Hour we're at the live exchange conference a conference that's brought in more than 400 people from all over Australia even from Victoria I'm joined this afternoon by Byron O'Keefe who is from O'Keefe Pastoral tell us what brings a fella to a live export conference
3: all the way from Victoria uh, thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, so as you said, I'm from Victoria. Um, what brings me up to, all the way up to Darwin is I, I have a background in training. Uh, I've trained people around the world in animal handling skills. Uh, and obviously with that, uh, there's a, a large component of the live export market. And uh, so I, I come up here to try and share some more knowledge, learn, learn from uh, different people as well. And uh, yeah, I'm I just you know, really looking forward to the next sort of l- 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 next segment and uh, yeah, what's coming up. Yeah. Now, in recent times,
1: through your work, you've been getting involved with the territory's buffalo industry. Tell us more about that.
3: Yeah, I had, I had the opportunity to come up here and, and spend some time uh, with Adrian Phillips um, out of Anambrau, and, and uh, when we when we sort of were working with the buffalo I just found them such a beautiful animal to work with and, and Adrian's got a, a really good system out there and and Adrian and I connected really well and uh, so we got talking about the buffalo industry and and you know what what does that look like currently and, and what are some of the opportunities there and uh, and Adrian and I as I mentioned we connected really well and and I, I spoke about my work overseas and working with different cultures and and I think uh, you know as as i said we connected and we just we thought hey this is a fantastic opportunity to share some more skills in livestock handling and from my experience overseas when you share knowledge in livestock handling and working with animals it can really build some confidence in, in the people that you're working with, and, and it's really, over the years, has given me a lot of confidence working with the livestock.
1: And when it comes to livestock handling, does it differ much between buffalo and cattle? There
3: is obviously differences, Matt. Yeah, definitely. There is um, some differences that buffalo sort of move a bit bit quicker. You know, they, they do let you know um, fairly uh, quickly if you're doing things wrong. Um, but, you know, the basic principles of handling are very much the same. You know, the basic principles. You know, if you do go about your business quietly, um, give them good leadership and give them good direction. Uh, and communicate, like communicate effectively with them. So be, be really clear in, in what you're trying to achieve. And, and can you, you explain that to our radio audience? How do you communicate clearly with a buffalo? <laughs> yeah, good question. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I, I don't know myself, but uh, <laughs> I am from Victoria. <laughs> no, nah, but look, it's it's like I said, it's the same sort of thing. So every time you enter the yard or enter, you know, have a have an uh, interaction with livestock, you, you're you're communicating with them. You just probably don't know it sometimes. So if you enter the yard, it's how you enter the yard do you enter the yard you know uh, really uh, you know with your, with your chest out and walking really strong or do you enter the yard you know just you know quietly and, and let them know you're coming and things like that you know that's all communication and then there's communication with the animal and communication with your, your team members um, which is important as well because you have to communicate with o- other workers that's really important you've had an opportunity to work in this industry now mm. what's
1: your take on the potential here when it comes to
3: the buffalo industry, exporting and domestic, I guess. Yeah, I think my take would be that you know we've got a great opportunity to to really um, to to really use the skill sets that are here already, that the, the existing skill sets in in the territory, and really also we could look at working with sort of indigenous communities and really help sort of bring some confidence and some and some really life skills to 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 those communities you know there's a a really wealth of knowledge there um we can share share that knowledge and grow on that knowledge which really help with you know providing careers for the future
1: and and that sort of stuff has been talked about for years can you see a path
3: to to making it a reality definitely uh in my travels working you know working around the world, literally around the world i 've you know, worked in russia i've w- worked in the middle east i 've worked all, all these places and as soon as you bring livestock into that situation, y- you can have some amazing sort of um, conversations and some and amazing opportunities in growth and I think uh, I think if we, if we use the skills we have now and, and, and just the people that, n- that know the buffalo well enough and then we, we, we go about it in the right way and introduce you know the same principles correctly that you know, it's, it's going an exciting future
1: Adrian Phillips from Memory became famous by going on landline and saying it's the it's the new wagyu the <laughs> buffalo I've got did he serve you some up on the barbecue when you were there
3: no no unfortunately did oh, he didn't. <laughs> Adrian correct yeah, no but uh, but uh, speaking of Adrian like he, he, <laughs> he him, him and Laurie did a great job of sort of giving me a, a bit of an insight into the industry and and uh, you know it's it's like I said. Aidan and I have pretty similar takes on things. You, you keep it simple. Um, you do the basics correctly, um, and you know you, you provide shade. You provide water. You, you treat them with animal welfare in the back of your mind, um, and, and you really, you know, you, you, you know, it's, it's an enjoyable and positive experience for everyone. Thank
1: you so much for your time on the Country Hour. Enjoy. rest of your
3: time in the Northern Territory. Thanks
1: Thanks so much Matt, really appreciate it. That is Byron O'Keefe from O'Keefe Pastoral and that wraps up the Country Hours broadcast. We've been here for two days, we've covered so much ground. I hope you've enjoyed our coverage from Live Exchange 2022. Keep it
0: rural.